Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Ray Hardman. How many times have you visited a movie theater since the pandemic began? While attendance numbers are back on the rise, a recent State of the Industry report from the Cinema Foundation found that more than 2,000 movie screens have gone dark since the pandemic began in the U.S. Coming up, we hear from one of Connecticut's four drive-in theaters that's still going strong. But first, the writers and actors strike has frozen film and TV productions across the country. The Writers Guild of America, or WGA, called a strike in May. And the Screen Actors Guild followed suit in July. We're going to hear the the very latest from NPR arts correspondent Mandalit Del Barco coming up in just a few moments. But joining us now to share her experience is Olivia Nicole Hoffman. She's an actress and Connecticut native. Olivia, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. Good morning. You can join the conversation. Do you have experience in the film industry in Connecticut? Are you impacted by the strike? 888-720-9677, 888-720-9677. WNPR, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Olivia, we know you were recently featured in a Hallmark movie, Aloha Heart. Uh, Tell me about that experience. It was so awesome. It was so exciting. Um, It was shot on Oahu. Um, and I just had, it was, I mean, it was magical. I was so thrilled to be involved and it was the biggest role I'd ever had in a feature film. So I was, um, I was very, very excited. And not to get too much into Hallmark movie tropes or rom-com tropes, but you were the, the, the quirky best friend in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, um, I, played Lydia who was freaking out because her wedding is everything's going awry and she enlists her best friend to sort of save the day. (laughs) I got to tell you, we were um, my family and I were gathered around the old laptop last night and just roaring over your TikTok videos. They are so funny. Oh, thank you. The the automatron. Uh, uh, Titanic ride thing. It was, it was, it was so funny. Um, uh, let me go back to Aloha Heart. Um, you were uh, the strike occurred while you were filming. Is that right? Well, the yeah, the writers' strike started that Tuesday of the second week of filming. So we got like all of the edits in, kind of very rush, 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 and. Um, and the SAG strike started about a week and a half before the movie aired. Okay. Was there big talk on the set about this? Uh, absolutely. Um, everyone knew there was an impending writer's strike. And the, when the writer's strike happened, it was seemingly the only response to that. It seems, you know, almost positive that the SAG strike would take place. So the big question this hour, Olivia, how 
has and how does the writers and actors strike affect you? Well, you know, it affects me in that I'm I'm just getting my momentum going in film and TV. And the last year, really, it's picked up for me. So I'm kind of in that, like, I'm just happy to be here, kind of like golden retriever phase. But I also feel that it is so extraordinarily important. Um, and I feel so much pride in knowing that my union is taking care of us. And even though this means that basically I I can't work unless it's a SAG interim agreement, um, it still feels like in order to make a living for me as an actor um, in my stage in my career, um, this is an, an incredibly important stand to be making, uh, stand to be taking. And I just feel... Um, that now, now more than ever, um, we have to draw the line. So I'm very thankful for my union, and I'm very proud to be an actor right now. Right. It does come at, at an inopportune time for you as you are kind of getting steam, your career's gaining steam here. Um, are auditions put on hold? Is, is everything on hold? Well, you would think, you know, it's like never a dull moment as an actor. You always kind of feel like the last job you work, you're like, oh, this is the last job I'll have because it's like you're stitching together this quilt when you're uh, starting out the way that I am starting out uh, still in that like kind of uh, more green phase of my career. Mm -hmm. um, but... I have been auditioning like crazy in the last two weeks, um, which is unexpected, but it is all for either SAG interim agreements um, or like, well, they're all SAG interim agreements or very, very like low budget indie films, which is great because indie films um, are getting their moment right now. I mean, they've, they've always had their moment, but this is the time to really support indie filmmakers. Right, right. So we talked to one uh, Connecticut-based actress, uh, Callie Bullier, and she said she had returned to civilian jobs while the strike is ongoing. Is that something you're doing or something you're considering? Um, well, so this is kind of unexpected, but I was just offered a job in a play. Um, so it looks like I will be someone dropped out of a play um, and they and a playwright that I had worked with years ago contacted me over the weekend and was like, are you available? And I'm, I'm thinking that will be my next job and it would start in, uh, next week. Oh, well, good <laughs> yeah. for you. Yeah. It's <laughs> okay. a shock though, because I mean, you know, it's again, I didn't know that was going to happen. It's always this kind of like this kind of vagabond, like circus comes to town lifestyle. I feel kind of like, just so so lucky right now that this happened right oh gosh um well i, I want to explore more the writers and actors strike let's pull that apart and let's bring in a uh, one npr reporter who's been on this story mandalit albarco she's an arts correspondent for npr mandalit welcome to the program thank you greetings from uh los angeles it must you must be so tired this morning <laughs> it's early. It's uh, six something in the morning, but that's fine. Well, it's a pleasure for me to hear a voice I've just heard uh, over and over over the years. So thanks for joining us. 
Oh, my pleasure. It's great so, to be here. Thanks. Sure. We're, we're talking about the uh, the Writers Guild of America and the Screen, Screen Actors Guild. Can you help us understand the scale and, and the scope of the strike? Yeah, well, um, just as uh, Olivia was describing, um, the, the, you know, basically, uh, all, all almost all of Hollywood productions have shut down now. Mm-hmm. The only things that are going are these what she was describing interim agreements. These are uh, these are productions that SAG-AFTRA um, has said that could could continue, and these are these are productions that are not affiliated with the Alliance of uh, AMPTP, Alliance of Motion Picture Television and, uh, Producers. Um, that is the group that represents the six major. Hollywood studios. So if 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 a production is not uh one of those studios, um they might be still going, although some of the writers are still have contracts with these. Anyway, it's very complicated, yeah. but there's a huge list. There's like a, hundreds of, of productions that are still going, but not the major ones. So n- not anything that you would see probably in a big theater like uh in most of the, the US. Right. Although I, I I love what you said, Olivia, what you said about the um, indie movies are having a moment because that that's true. <laughs> Independent movies. That's really cool. But anyway, yeah. um, but that means that uh, that means that if Hollywood productions are, are not happening, that means not just the actors and writers, that means everybody in Hollywood is impacted in some way or another. Um, and that also affects what we're going to see on the big screen and on TV and and streaming, you know, we're still waiting to see in fall what uh, what happens on television because nothing is being made, nothing new is being made. We're going to see a lot of reality TV shows, unscripted shows, and 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 shows or movies that have come from um, come internationally. But uh, as far as things that are made here, that's not happening right now. Um, movies are being delayed; they're being pushed back to spring or maybe next even you know after that so um it it doesn't it affects everybody in hollywood and it affects all the rest of us all around the world in what we're able to see or not see so it's 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 huge and this this double double strike like this uh, actors uh and writers that hasn't happened since 1960 so (laughs) that's a long time ago (laughs) um what are the main asks here well, for both for both the unions, I mean, they're asking for for more pay. Of course, uh, that's a basic thing. They're also asking for um, uh, higher residuals. That's the money that they get paid when something is re-aired, replayed on streaming services, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's that whole business model has changed. I've met actors and writers who say uh, that they have a stack of checks for like one cent or three cents <laughs> yeah. this is ridiculous like you're gonna go to the bank and cash a check for one cent but um because that's what they get paid now with for residuals the uh the the other thing that they are really concerned with especially the actors is artificial intelligence ai is like taking over every everywhere actually over the world but um uh, but they're especially trying to safeguard that their work continues. I mean, um, I spoke to some background actors and they said that they have been asked to have their bodies scanned so that they could be, you mm. know, 
so AI could like have their image and they would like, for example, if there was like, if they were in a huge scene, a crowd scene or a, or a battle scene that they could just do cut and paste and have like, instead of hiring, you know, thousands of actors, they would just need a, a couple of actors and they would just duplicate them, you know, and, and, and artificially put them in CGI them and, and that sort of thing. And then they wouldn't get paid. They would right. just get paid once and that's it. So AI is a huge deal. Same with the writers. You know, they don't want to have their work just, um, I guess, sort of plagiarized in a way, you know? Right. Uh, let's talk about the state of the strike a little bit. You spoke with sag after President Fran Drescher this week. What, what did she share with you? Well, she's very passionate, you know, and, and we all remember her from The Nanny. And she, <laughs> I don't know if you remember her, but uh, uh, she, you know, she, of she's very passionate about, about this. She's really trying to f- defend uh, the actors and also really going up against um, uh, the executives in these big studios. I mean, a lot of them, Amazon, Apple, um, what's the other one? Netflix. Disney, well, Netflix is more. NBC yeah, Universal. but a- Amazon and Apple, especially that you know, these are tech corporations, right? They're, mm-hmm. They 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 sell uh, all sorts of things online. So entertainment is just one of their divisions, you know. So um, there's a lot of criticism of that of them of the studios not caring, and of you know they have pushback too. They have their own crisis management firm and PR uh, PR agents. Um, trying to push back on that, trying to change the narrative. But so far, it seems like the actors and writers have gotten a lot of support from people, just people out here. You know, uh, there's like a Gallup poll saying that the um, that everybody supports the the, the strikes, mm-hmm. or a lot of people support the strikes. So, um, so Fran was talking about that 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 sort of thing. She's like, you know, I hope that they don't. That at the end of the year, the executives are not getting their bonuses. If they do, uh, I might have to call President Biden. That's what she said. <laughs> so, I mean, because they're federally regulated. Right. So she said a lot of things, but I, I, things that I've heard on the picket lines. I mean, I'm, I've been out there. I think I've been to every studio's picket line uh, uh, multiple times. And there's a lot of passion. And, you know, months later, so the writers started in May May 2nd. And and they're still going strong. So so are the actors. I mean, I've, and they were already on the picket lines even before um, their strike was officially called. So um, at least in Los Angeles, you see picket lines everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's and it's spread. It's not just writers and actors in Hollywood. It's like it seems like everybody's on strike. Oh, everybody started being on strike this summer. Uh, the teachers in L.A., they won their strike. They won like 30% increase in their pay. The ho- hotel workers are on strike now. Hospital workers just down the street from me, the nurses. Um, and and that, and then you see that across the country. I don't know what's happening in Connecticut in terms of that, but um, I, I think all around the country, you know, Amazon workers, Starbucks workers, sure. everybody seems to be unionizing right now. <laughs> And it's not that the writers and actors started it, but it's just more high profile. So it's it's gotten a lot of people excited about um, going up against uh, the man. 
corporations, you know? <laughs> right. Mandalay, good point. A reminder, you can join the conversation. Do you have experience in the film industry in Connecticut? And are you impacted by the strike? The number is 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Keith is on the line. He's a costume designer from Connecticut. Keith, welcome to the program. Hello. Good morning. How long have you been working out of Connecticut? Um, well, I'm born and raised in Manchester, Connecticut. Um, and then I left and was in the city for a while. And then the pandemic brought me home. And ever since then, I've been on the road and on the road a lot, specifically around the shoreline in Connecticut to mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of um, holiday films. Mm-hmm. What's your experience been of this strike? <clears throat> um, well, actually, I was in filming in Ireland and Scotland um, when it called um, mm-hmm. first the writers. So that was interesting because once they went on strike, you can't change the script any longer. Um, so that was interesting. And then we finished right before the SAG strike went into effect. Um, and then, yeah, it's just been radio silence since then. Um, I mean, I, every day I wake up and I'm like, maybe today's the day. And then, you know, cause once a deal is made, I mean, people can get back to work pretty quickly. Right. Right. Uh, have you have you uh, suffered financially from this? I'm really fortunate. My spring was really stacked. Mm-hmm. Um, I did four movies back to back, so um, I'm okay. I've been in this. This is the only thing I've ever done. So I'm always having you know stashing away an emergency fund just because I'm so used to not knowing working freelance. But you know that dwindles at some point, and if this continues on until next year, like. I might have to utilize my business degree in some way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Um, what are your thoughts about working in Connecticut? You mentioned that you've been doing a lot of holiday movies near the shoreline. How does the film industry differ? Because we're going to talk about the state industry in just a few moments. Uh, how does the film state film industry differ from um, New York City, for example? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Everybody always thinks like Hollywood or like uh, you need to be in L.A. or New York and I mean, Hollywood's like everywhere. I mean, different states have different tax incentives. And I, from what I understand, Connecticut's are pretty great. Um, we've brought a lot of films there. Um, I mean, I always think it comes down to my team and I can make Hollywood wherever. Mm. Um, I have a really great team that comes with me to Connecticut. Um, it just, you work a little bit differently. Um, yeah, Sometimes if you're renting things, it's a little harder to acquire, but Connecticut's great because you're close to New York, you're close to Boston, you're close to Providence, um, and you can make it look like anywhere America. Yeah. Keith, thanks so much. Uh, Mandalay Del Barco, would love to hear your thoughts about Keith's experience. Yeah, uh, Keith, uh, it's great to hear uh, um, how you work in Hollywood is everywhere. You're right. <laughs> it's a state of mind as well. Um, but, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of a lot of people, I mean, my latest story yesterday was on how people how people are getting by during the strike, how actors and writers are getting by. And just like Olivia said, um, yeah, as well, uh, a lot of times people in Hollywood or any in, in the entertainment um, industry are are sort of like freelancers or gig workers going from gig to gig. So a lot of people are used to um, piecing together stuff. Um, I, you know, the waiting tables, um, DoorDash, Postmates, Uber drivers. Um, I met with um, a late night TV writers. Uh, one of them works at for Jimmy Kimmel Live, and 
instead of writing jokes, he's now making snow globes at home, which he sells on Etsy. Um, <laughs> or they're they're uh, you know on podcasts, or they're um, one guy is uh, working at uh, opening opening trading cards on a live stream. That's what he gets paid for, to do. Mm-hmm. And so pe- people are using their creativity and their talents in different ways or writing books. Um, I, I, I talked to Edward James almost on the picket line one day, and he said he, he his advice was just to go uh, back to the theater, which Olivia, you said you're doing with uh, that, you know, that can't work for everybody, but um, some of some actors and, and it doesn't always pay. The thing is that, um, especially for for writers they you know in the past you could kind of make a middle class living middle class lifestyle have a own a house uh you know raise your family with that that income that's that was kind of steady because um if you were on a a, a show that went on more than one season um you were working pretty steadily or if you were on a on a, you know, or if you're acting in a show, you know, you could kind of count on that in some ways. Now it seems like the whole model of these shows have changed and uh, there's like fewer episodes. There's, uh, you know, maybe six episodes a season. Sure. You've seen shows like that, right? It used to be like this one guy I interviewed, his father had worked in 1959, 60 on two shows and he was one of two writers there were two writers on a show they had 40 40 episodes a season yeah. so 40 <laughs> you know and now it's like six uh, so anyway the whole whole thing has changed i don't know who decided that we only need six episodes for a, se- a, a, a season for a show but um i guess you just then they go on to the next thing but in, at any rate it's really a tough business now i mean so many people are just getting into it now and everybody comes to hollywood that hollywood that's everywhere everybody comes to hollywood with with a a, a talents and and dreams that they're gonna you know be able to make a living doing this sure. and it it's really tough it's really tough i mean it's always been tough but um uh i think the the, the economy has shown that it's it's even more tough at the moment than it was maybe a few years ago Mandalita, I want to play a clip from uh, the owner of Synthetic Cinemas uh, in Hartford. His name is Andrew Gernhardt, and the studio works with companies like Hallmark and Netflix. Let's take a listen. If this was a standard year, we probably would have done maybe two or three more movies before the end of the year. Um, but now we're just basically in post-production of the current ones we have, you know, not using Writers Guild or, or Screen Actors Guild. Um, and we'll be wrapping up all of those by October for this Christmas, of course. And um, and then we're kind of just developing and and, uh, you know, uh, getting scripts, you know, kind of getting get an idea of what kind of scripts you want to go with next um, until, you know, the strike is over. You know, my heart goes out to definitely the crew, you know, the union crews that are out there um, because they're, you know, they're like the collateral damage here. Unfortunately, um, you know, they haven't it was a kind of a slow year and now it's like a dead halt. So, you know, I think it's tough on them. It's tough on actors. It's tough on writers. It's tough on everybody. Um, and the fall off restaurants and hotels and support vendors are all getting hit with this thing. And to tell you the truth, I think if the strike, again, I'm no expert by any means, if the strike goes into next year, I, I, I don't even know if there's turning around from that, to tell you the truth. 
uh, uh, some pretty bleak news from Andrew Gernhardt. Uh, Mandalit, your response to Andrew here about this worst case scenario, do you see it making a severe change in, in how the, that industry is, uh, d- does their business? Well, I know that the studio heads are, are um, they were at first saying, you know, they had a big shelf of, of, of content that they could continue using. Now those shelves are getting a little bare. Uh, the David Zasloff, who heads uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, he had told investors that if the strike goes on through the end of the year, they're going to lose $500 million. Mm. And I know um, in the last writer's strike in 2008, that cost the economy of Los Angeles, for example, it cost $2 billion. And that's all those people he was talking about, the collateral damage that, and that was just in our city, you know, that it could be billions and billions of dollars. I just want to say um, that other workers are now voting to unionize. So it's, uh, I mean, nobody's working or very few people are working in this industry right now, but some of the ones that are, are, are saying like, you know, you know, the actors and writers are on strike. Now we want to go on, we we might go on strike, the mm-hmm. video game workers, animation workers, visual effects workers at Disney and Marvel. Um, they're all trying to join. So it's, there's a lot of people besides the actors and writers, as you know, as and as he just said too, that are uh, impacted by this. I, I don't understand, and maybe you can help me understand why studio heads aren't jumping to take care of this. Well, I I can't speak for any studio heads per se, but um, I know, uh, like I said before, you know, some of them are 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 tech companies. You know, they're they're not necessarily entertainer entertainment companies first. Mm -hmm. You know, and some of the old legacy studios, you know, like Paramount. Well, actually, Paramount has streaming. Disney has streaming too. I mean, most of them have streaming services Mm -hmm. as well. I don't know about Sony. But anyway, uh, there's there's a lot of different types of studios that are involved in this. There's the bigger ones, and then there's like the slightly less big uh, studios. Uh, I I don't know. I can't speak for them why why they're not why they're not uh, what, what the problem is. Nothing is happening. They've had negotiations, and then they've broken off. I know that studio heads met directly with the writers. Um, a, not too long ago, and it, it was a very short meeting. And uh, apparently, from the reports I heard, they were just like chastising the writers for not taking the deals that they had offered. I don't know. It's like this. It's like that. Both both sides are just kind of like at at a, a stalemate, you know. And yeah. and for a lot of writers and and actors, they say it's an ex- existential crisis. I mean, what's going to happen to them and the whole industry? It's not just about, you know, getting a certain percentage of more residuals or or money right now. It's about the whole thing. It's about the whole the the way the the way everything is going. I mean, the, the whole industry, I should say. Right. Um, Olivia and Keith are still with us, and I'd love to ask you all this question. Uh, Mandalit, I'll start with you. What's your perspective, really, you know, big picture on shifting priorities for film and television? I mean, has this business model adapted over the over the years? And and where does the role of art fit in? Well, uh, like I said, you know, these companies, uh, these big companies are 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 very tech, you know, and um, 
streaming streaming has taken over everything uh mm-hmm. well not over everything but it's a it's a big priority for for these companies um and i don't know we're, there's still a lot of really creative and talented people out there trying to do their thing you know mm-hmm. but um it's it is a bit big difference in the the business model so business and art has always had a a bit of a clash there you know whose interest is it but i i still think that there's a lot of talent to be to be whatever to be honored you know right. and to be celebrated there uh and as i as i said in my story yesterday on npr um you know the, the younger generations might not even need traditional hollywood you know they're they're watching tiktok and and youtube shorts my dad just asked my daughter she's she's 11 she 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 watches movies and tv but it's this other content too that's that's out there too to entertain people people making their own you know shows and and whatever and some some stuff that's really silly but um yeah yeah Olivia, real quick, your thoughts on this question. I love what Mandalit just said mm-hmm. about making your own content. I'm a huge um, enforcer of that as someone who took to TikTok kind of late in the game and was like, you know what? I'm going to put my crazy brain out there and I'm just going to make <laughs> whatever comes out of me comes out of me because I'm an artist first, really. Um, and it is kind of this Venn diagram that's going on right now between mm-hmm. For me, like merging art with business and trying to be be my own like CEO of my weird traveling company as an artist. But, you know, for me, art will always come first. And the thing that I like am so moved by with this strike really for the first time is I feel like art can for me personally come uh kind of like rise to the top because this actor mystique that's been going on that's like actors are um you know this like glamorous lifestyle and actually it really isn't that for most of us it really is like I said before the stitching together and I feel like that is reflective of what being an artist is you know I am stitching together this like big artistic quilt of my weirdness and my my passion and my dreams and um that will always come first for me and i'm really happy that uh every artist is making that um a priority as well because we are also not only demanding um you know 11 percent increase and residuals and ai protection we are demanding to be seen as artists and collaborators Keith, what about you? I love this question. I mentioned I have a business degree, and actually it's titled Business of Art and Design, and it focuses on the meeting of those two worlds. Um, so, I mean, I think, I mean, everything everything we is designed, everything around us went through a designer. Um, I mean, even just looking at, like, content creation, like, the script was created. It was casted by somebody with, like, an artistic vision, um, it trickles down to me. The costumes are designed. The platform you're looking at was designed. Um, and that's so different than the way, like, traditional Hollywood, like, speaking when the last strike was 1960, we consumed media completely differently and things were designed in a completely different way. Um, I think it's a, we're at a really important inflection point. I think this is really great for 
labor movement in general. I'm a proud member of IATSE. Um, and yeah, I think we're at a big inflection point and we're going to see where this goes. Mm. But art and design, I mean, it's like I'm a costume designer. So everyone's like, you're a designer, but there is so much of a business backside to it. I mean, I'm running a department looking at like labor budgets and purchasing budgets. Um, I always say it's like it's show business for a reason because their business is just as big of a part as the show part. All right, Keith, thanks for your input today. Madalie Del Barco, NPR arts correspondent, thank you for your time. Oh, thank you. This was a great conversation. So I love hearing from everybody. Yeah. Olivia Nicole Hoffman, Connecticut native and actress, thank you. Thank you. This was really wonderful. I honestly like want to immediately run to a picket line right now and start <laughs> start going for it. Okay. <laughs> Coming up, we'll zoom in on Connecticut with Hearst, Connecticut reporter Alex Soul. You can join the conversation 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Ray Hardman. Has, how has the now months-long writers and actors strike impacted movie making Where We Live here to discuss is Alex Soul, reporter for Hearst, Comedia, uh, Hearst, Connecticut. Alex, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Ray. Hey, can you give us a sense of the number of movie studios in the state and, and the level of business that they're doing? Sure. And we lost a big one a couple of years ago that probably wasn't so much influenced by the strike, possibly in Blue Sky Studios, which had moved across the border from New York into that little corner of Greenwich that juts into the New York border. Uh, Disney had bought out uh, 21st Century Fox film assets, and the moment they got their hands on Blue Sky, they shut it down, already having Disney animation in-house and Pixar. And that was really tough for the Connecticut industry because Blue Sky Studios was one of the two or three real uh, kind of triumphs of the tax credit program that Keith had mentioned earlier, where it was created in the 2009 timeframe and Blue Sky came right across to take advantage of it. And they cashed in more than $250 million in credits on a billion dollars worth of production. And obviously, they had the whole Ice Age series that was a huge success. So, you know, Disney pulled the plug on that in favor of Pixar and Disney Animation. So we lost that. Um, and if you look at what's, you know, I believe uh, uh, had been referenced as Hollywood East, 
we have not benefited from that. And it's striking that New York and now New Jersey have. And so when you look at growth in the industry in over five years, uh, Deloitte did a study. They found that uh, that employment in California dropped four or five percent in that time frame for the film and TV industry. New York's grew 17 percent to about 80,000 people. And uh, all three, uh, sorry, New York, California and Georgia have all added a million square feet of production space in a five year block through 2022. Connecticut has not. So we got NBC Sports coming across, which with ESPN made us kind of a, a sports locus. We had Blue Sky Studios, which we lost. And then we've just had some smaller activity and nothing on the scale of what's to come. Now, over in Yonkers, they've just opened the Lionsgate Studios, which will have about a million square feet of space. Uh, Robert De Niro is opening a new studio down in Manhattan, and there's another one down there, which combined those will have approaching a million square feet of space. And then the big one is Netflix, and that's going to be down at the old Fort Monmouth in New Jersey. And it's going to be massive. It's going to be close to 300 acres, um, massive, massive development that the state of New Jersey is backing. And it's frustrating here in Connecticut from an economic perspective, because when you hear about Connecticut tax credits, they're usually mentioned in the same breath with New Jersey's and Georgia's as among the best or rather most uh, generous in the industry. But we just haven't benefited from it the way New York did with the Yonkers Film Studio and now New Jersey with Netflix. So we have the most one of the most generous uh, tax breaks for uh, television and movie production uh, with no cap. Why has Connecticut not been able to seize the opportunity here? The, there's always a question of a uh, film zone that circles New York City. So you can go 25 or 30 miles out from Columbus Circle. And after, depending on the union, after you get outside that radius, uh, it becomes less economically uh, uh, advantageous for companies based on union uh, kinds of payment structures. Now, that line cuts just west of the Stamford train station. So you and Blue Sky was within that line. Mm -hmm. So you can argue that um, if that line was further out than a place like Bridgeport, which has a lot of, you know, excess uh, industrial space that perhaps could be repurposed for a film studio would make a lot of sense. But it hasn't happened. And way back in the early days, some of the listeners may remember that there was going to be a Hollywood East uh, in Bridgeport, the old Stratford Army engine plant on on the harbor there. Right. And then even up in South Windsor, there was going to be a Connecticut studios that had been bandied about. Neither of those projects have gone forward. More recently, an actor, Mike J. White, has proposed a New Haven studio, but um, we haven't heard much about that in the past year or so. Has the state legislature uh, had any desire to tweak this pro this tax program if it's not working as great as in other states? The tweak already occurred. And so okay. uh, they initially kind of had a very broad based tax credit that encouraged a lot of one and done production. So uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was filmed a little bit at Yale New Haven and right. Revolution Road uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio was filmed here. They quickly saw that that was kind of lightning hits where people were coming in from out of state to film and then they were leaving. There wasn't a lot of economic impact. So they tweaked it and they said, listen, in order to cash in on the 30 percent credit, you've got to really build up a ton of uh, production work. So half of the shooting days have to be here and half of the production expenses or 
more than one million in production expenses. And so what that really gears it toward is more permanent studios, but we're an expensive state, state to do business. So whereas you've seen Georgia just expanding like wildfire and Tyler Perry has a hugely expanded new studio down there and NBC Universal is uh, moving in this moment to the new assembly studios outside Atlanta, which is just going to be another massive studio down there. And they've got four in the works right now and probably more lined up after that. Uh, it is frustrating, and particularly since NBC Universal knows us very well. It's owned by Comcast, but right. obviously they're the NBC Universal talk shows in downtown Stanford and NBC Sports in Stanford. Do you foresee the state legislature doing more to to uh, change this tax program around? I think that it's more likely that they'll try to repurpose the money. In fact, Governor Lamont's uh, outgoing economic chief, either earlier this year or late last year, basically said the state should do that. And he said, listen, we've got less than a million dollars in benefit on $500 million in activity. Uh, these are dollars that could be better put somewhere else. And there's a there's a group in the Connecticut General Assembly that tried to get a law through which would start to enact some of those changes, but it didn't happen. Now, it's just, again, very frustrating because you just see a, you know, probably well over two million square feet of space either having just been developed or under development in the greater New York City area. And we're not participating in that. And so, you know, uh, people like Keith, who and there's a lot of people like Keith in Connecticut where uh, they're very talented and they've got tremendous contacts uh, with the New York City ecosystem. I bet you they wouldn't mind having Netflix in their own backyard, but it's not going to happen here. And it you know, it just looks like it's not a point of emphasis for the legislature nor the governor anymore. Although we like, you know, the productions that do film here. Alex Soule, yeah. reporter for Hearst, Connecticut. Thank you for your time today. Thanks. Coming up, we spotlight one of Connecticut's four drive-in movie theaters. You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Ray Hardman. This hour, we've been discussing how the months-long writers and actors strike out of Hollywood is impacting us here in Connecticut. But what about movie going? Connecticut has lost its share of movie theater screens in recent years, but still boasts four drive-in theaters, keeping this American tradition alive. You can find out more information about drive-ins in the state and see a mini-documentary about the Mansfield Drive-In on our website at ctpublic.org slash where we live. Joining us now is Naomi Youngden. She's general manager of the Mansfield Drive-In. Naomi, welcome to the program. Hey there. Thanks so much to have me on. I, I appreciate it. Oh, I'm ex I'm so excited because really one of my first memories of ever going to the theater is getting into my pajamas with my brother and my cousins and getting into the station wagon and heading out to the drive-in. My mom would make this huge bag of popcorn. Um, <laughs> tell, tell me, how did you get into doing this thing? How did you take over the Mansfield drive-in? Yeah, so it's it's been a family business, um, which is really cool in itself. I feel like that's you know, something that's kind of not as common as it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, so my dad um, started managing it in 1974. Uh, so I, <laughs> my sister and I grew up there pretty much. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I too have very similar memories of, you know, piling into my mom's minivan and <laughs> going to the drive-in. Um, and he, he unfortunately passed away in 2020. Um, oh, I'm so I was, sorry. oh, thank you. Um, I had come back to help him, um, run the drive-in in 2018. Um, so I was, I'm very thankful to, you know, have been able to have, you know, at least those two years of, you know, experience, you know, in a different role. Like right. I grew up working at the, you know, I, 12 years old, I was the soda girl. <laughs> um, you know, when I was 18, I became like a shift leader. You know, I've, I've always been there. Um, I moved out, you know, went to college elsewhere. And, you know, like I said, came back in 2018. Then my sister ended up coming back in 2020, I believe. Um, and so now it's her and I pretty much running it together. My mom does a lot of things behind the scenes, too. So she's definitely in it. But yeah. Mm. Uh, we have uh, a clip of your father from the mini doc we mentioned before about the Mansfield drive-in. Let's take a listen to him. Just thought that there was a way to make it work and that I could make something happen. And I was also thinking about the fact that someday I'd be the only one doing this. Naomi, uh, running this drive-in was really a mission for him, right? Oh, absolutely. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was... Um... Yeah, even even more so than a mission. It was it was his life, you know. Naomi, what makes a good drive-in movie? <laughs> um, you know, there's there's a few different genres that do really really well on mm -hmm. a, a drive-in. Um, you know, of course, we're very family oriented, so the family films do do quite well. People get really excited about it. It's the drive-in is different than than an indoor theater because you can be more social at a drive-in. You mm -hmm. know not I, indoor theaters are awesome. And, you know, I definitely go to the indoor theater during our off season. And it's nice that we, I don't even feel like the two business models are in competition with each other because we offer such different things. Um, so the drive-in, you can talk with your friends. If you're, you know, if you have a little one that, you know, as little ones do sometimes come a little unglued, um, <laughs> it's okay. You know, nobody's going to be shushing you. You don't have to leave, you know, you're in the comfort of your own car. Um, so a lot of the family films do, do quite well here. Um, I mean, everywhere Barbie mm -hmm. did really well this year, but mm -hmm. that was our big, you know, big show of the season. So you're running first releases. Yes, definitely. Yeah. We'll do, um, Every year we'll bring back some fun, you know, retro films. Mm -hmm. um, we did have Jaws this year. <laughs> That's always one that looks just so, you know, it's it's classic on a, on a drive-in screen. Um, but in general, yeah, we're a first-run theater. We're quickly running out of time, which I really regret, but mm -hmm. I, have, I have so many questions. Um, how have you seen things change over the years in the drive-in movie business? So there's definitely been some changes. Um, but we have done our best to keep it 1950s feel. Mm. Um, you know, we've really gone out of our way to try and, you know, try and maintain that that nostalgia of, you know, coming to a drive-in theater. So our our snack bar and our setup is very, very, you know, it's like coming into a time capsule. You know, we want people to kind of forget what year it is when they're here. Um that being said, of course, things have updated behind the scenes. Um, you know, we have new, well, 
newish digital projectors. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of my movie bookings on Mondays are done via email instead of calling the studios themselves. You know, I just shoot an email to my rep and, and we negotiate terms. Um, And, you know, of course now we take uh, credit cards, we take Apple pay, we take cash app, you know, there's online tickets, Mm -hmm. you know, what about the box that you put on the window for the sound? Do you still do that? We had those until last year or until this year. <laughs> okay. Um, so we we still have them. Um, we decided to try not putting them up this year, um, mainly because all of those little speakers are 1950s to 1970s uh, vintage. Mm-hmm. So they provide 1950s and 1970s vintage sound um, and sound quality. And that's not something that people are used to hearing. So um we now we broadcast through an FM radio station for, you know, a different one for each of the three screens. And we also have radio rentals in the snack bar. So, you know, for the people that don't want to use their car radio, don't have a car radio, you know, want to sit outside and and not blast their radio. Yeah. Um, we do have an option for them. I've got one more quick question for you before we have to go. Um, mm-hmm. You've been listening along this hour. I'd love to hear your thoughts on on the magic of movie going, something maybe that you've witnessed over the course of your life. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that was <laughs> said that, that, you know, kind of hit me a little bit was um, that, you know, we now live in an era where people can create their own content. And I know that that's a very lighthearted thing to say, but it's kind of a scary thing to hear as a small Mm. business owner Mm -hmm. um, that really relies on Hollywood, Um, you know, that I I can't put TikToks up on the screen. You know, I I really rely on, you know, movies to come through. So hoping that there's going to be a resolution because we are just now starting to feel the impact of the writer's strike, um, our October release schedule is looking a little, a little bleak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we may end up doing some, uh, some retro films, you know, Halloween classics, which people always love, but, um, yeah, some, some really interesting things that, you know, we're, we're brought to the table during the last hour for sure. Yeah. Naomi Youngden, general manager of the Mansfield drive-in. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It was a pleasure speaking with you. You can find more information about the Mansfield Drive-In, showtimes, and how to get tickets on our website at ctpublic.org slash where we live. I'm Ray Hardman. Today's show was was produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app.